Hello and welcome to Your Employment Matters. I'm Beverly Williams and I'm here to help you navigate your career. This is for anyone who's searching for their dream job or promotion, or perhaps you're just looking to hang on to the job you have. Today's work environments are multi-generational, multi-religious, multinational, multiracial, and multi-gender and multi-gender identity. Add market disruptors like Amazon and Lyft, along with the addition of AI, and it's easy to see why finding and keeping a job is such a challenge. Employment success and even employment survival depend on your ability to adapt. That's why my goal for this 30-minute podcast is to first advocate embracing change and differences, and second, to encourage you to proactively assume responsibility for your career. Get your work week off to a good start by listening to Your Employment Matters every Monday. Find out how to own your career and get the best practices for making your employment matter. You may remember in an earlier podcast, I mentioned that I was asked if to be a guest, you had to have a college degree. Hopefully it's clear by now that guests do not have to have a degree and and many of my guests don't. Now, please understand that I respect people's choices, but I also recognize one, the value of a formal education and two, I realize that there are many successful people who don't have a degree. I also remember something else. Success means different things to different people. I encourage you to define success for yourself. Don't let anyone else define it for you. Now, you may find that strange, but Parents, loved ones, professors, teachers may try to influence the direction, the course that your employment journey will take, but you're the one that has to travel it. So you're the one that should be satisfied. Now, Salima Williams, my guest today, is not a college graduate, but she's on her way. Welcome, Salima, and thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited. Now, let me tell you, I've never met Salima. I met Salima's mother in July at a cookout, a 4th of July cookout. We connected immediately, I guess, maybe kindred spirits. She had some issues that I was able to help her work through. And she told me she had a daughter who was in college. And Salima, her daughter, sounded like someone I wanted to talk to. Because I think that in terms of employment journeys and careers, I think there's some people like me who've always known what they wanted to do. And there are other people who find their way along the way. And I think that Whether you go to college or not, there are things that you can do to propel yourself on a path that will benefit you. So that's what I think. Let's hear what Salima thinks. Now, Salima, tell us about yourself. What did you want to do? What did you want to be when you grew up? (laughs) Okay. So 
Oh, when I was six years old, I vividly remember I always told my parents, I want to be a fashion designer. I want to be a fashion designer. I want to be a fashion designer. (laughs) And that changed, I would say, once I got to high school and I became really interested in my human anatomy and physiology class. So I said, okay, when I go off to college, I am going to major in nursing. I'm going to work in the hospital for a couple of years. And then I want to go to graduate school to obtain my master's in public health. Because after high school, I really noticed public health was my thing. It has a lot of science elements to it, but there's not a whole lot of patient interaction. And it kind of touches more on the administrative side of healthcare. Well, it's interesting because when you said you wanted to be a fashion designer, the first thing that popped into my mind was Project Runway. Right. I love it. it. You know, I don't always agree with, you know, the way some of those garments look, but I was like, oh, well, I wish I had that kind of talent. Right. But then, you know, the segue to physiology and to medicine and, and healthcare, that's a leap. That's really a leap. It is, truly. So now, what are you doing now to prepare yourself for your healthcare career? So in, when was that? Around the fall time of 2017, um, when I was preparing to take my SATs and ACTs, all my standardized tests, and compiling my portfolio to apply to colleges, I knew that I wanted to attend an HBCU coming from a predominantly white area in New Jersey. Um, I had an HBCU was great for me. Um, And secondly, I wanted to go somewhere that had a strong nursing program. So when I did my research, I came across Howard. I later visited and I absolutely fell in love with the school. It also helped their case that I had so many family members within the DMV area. So it was certainly the most reliable and convenient choice for me. So currently at Howard, I switched my major from nursing to public health. And to prepare myself for a career in public health, I have interned at hospitals working as a research intern. I volunteer at a local clinic where I handle the COVID questionnaire pre-screenings. And I'm also in the process of applying to graduate schools for my master's in public health. So now where did you apply for your uh, graduate degree? I applied to Columbia and George Washington University. Have you considered Rutgers? I'm a Rutgers alum. I did. I absolutely did consider Rutgers. However, it was a sort of last minute decision to not apply, mainly because I know that I love the DMV. I would love to stay here after graduation. However, if I do have to go back home, New York City is a stone's throw away. So Columbia. It's definitely a good choice as well. But Rutgers, hmm, it's just so close to home. I know. (laughs) I knew that. I had a feeling that had something to do with it. So for the sake of those listeners who may not be familiar with the DMV, could you tell them what that is, please? Yes. So when I refer to the DMV, I am mentioning the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area. And it's kind of a metropolitan where all three well, D.C. is not a state, but for the sake of this argument, all three states kind of connect. Yes. And they're all about 20 to 30 minutes apart from each other. It would be similar to the tri-state area in yes. New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut. Absolutely. 
that's one of the things that I try to be mindful of. One of the things that when I interview people before the podcast to, to see whether it's a good fit and I'm sending out invitations for their, you know, for their calendars, I forget right. to check to see where they live. Right. <laughs> you know, what time zone are you in? I mean, seriously, it, it I'm better now, but it takes thought. It definitely takes thought. So now you're planning on going to graduate school. What influenced you as you grew up? You you know, you segue from fashion design. Something must have happened or someone, maybe a professor or a teacher, influenced your decision making? Yes, certainly. So um, when I was younger, I was very creative. I'm still creative, but I kind of came to realize that fashion design maybe was not the most secure option in terms of job security. And I knew that I wanted to major in and study in something that I was at least interested in and more so passionate about. When I was 16, I had to go to the hospital because I had a really, really bad stomach bug. But I was just observing the way in which the doctors, nurses, and healthcare administrators were moving about the hospital. It seemed kind of chaotic, rushed. It was not something that, it was definitely something that needed to be improved. So I thought to myself, hmm, how can I get into this field without becoming a doctor or becoming a nurse? I want the hospital experience, but I want to handle the administration side of everything. And ultimately, that's when I made my decision to go into public health. It's a booming industry, especially with the growing COVID pandemic. And it also touches on the health disparities among black and brown communities. And that is something that I'm super passionate about. So that's what ultimately piqued my interest, that hospital experience. Well, you know, when I met your mother, there was a guy there who is a health administrator in the area. Mm -hmm. So that may be someone you might want to talk to when you come home. Right. Certainly. And one of my other children is a, a doula. Okay. In D.C. Okay. Coincidentally, both her parents are Howard graduates. Okay. Love that. <laughs> You know, that brings me to another topic that, you know, I want to, I want to highlight with you because I didn't do it and I wish I had. Mm -hmm. I wish I had networked more than I did. Right. Okay. I was a social person, you know, in college and in graduate school and, and thereafter, but I didn't make a concerted effort to connect with people in my profession, either as a public administrator or as an attorney. And as I wind down my legal practice, I realized that that was a mistake. Not that I don't have contacts in those areas, but I should have more. Right. I should have joined more organizations. I should have participated in professional organizations more, not only to 
get my name out there, but to, to acquire information and knowledge. I believe that the more diverse and eclectic your network is, the better off you are because people think differently. Men think differently from women, people of different nationalities because of their upbringing, their socialization, their religions, all kinds of factors make us who we are. Right. And I just wish I had been more proactive in that regard. I'm trying to do better now. But COVID isn't really helping a whole lot. Mm-hmm. But if you know, if you want, I can connect you with those two people. Yes, that would be greatly. Oh, and in fact, another friend of mine is um, she got her. The reason I know about her, uh, Rutgers public health degree, a graduate degree, is she got her master's in public health from uh, Rutgers. Mm-hmm. So I can introduce you to her also. That would be greatly appreciated. It's interesting that you mentioned networking because as I kind of come to the close of my senior year, I'm realizing, especially when it comes to the job application process, working your network is very, very, very beneficial. And that's with applying to jobs, school, navigating the workplace, and even in schooling. And I definitely had to learn that earlier in my senior year to reach out to my network first and tap into them first and then go about applying to graduate school and jobs. Absolutely. I mean, that's how people get jobs these days. You know, there was a time when you could look in the newspaper and there would be an ad. But now it's word of mouth. You know, people... Oh, well, yeah, I know. you. Are you looking for someone? I know someone. Right. For me, it's cathartic. You know, it's giving back. It's mm-hmm. okay. You play it forward. Someone recommended me for one of the best jobs I ever had. It changed the trajectory of my life. And, you know, I want to do that for someone else. Right. And listeners, let me just, in the interest of full disclosure, and I should have said this in the beginning, although Salima and I had the same last name, we're not related, <laughs> you know. So now, do you have role models, either in your personal life or in your professional aspirations? Yes, absolutely. So speaking about my personal life, my mother is a huge role model to me. She's just very hardworking, a go-getter. She likes to see the good in every situation, which is something that I try to adapt in my daily life because sometimes I can be very pessimistic and have a kind of glass half empty approach to life. But just seeing the way in which she navigates through obstacles, triumphs, all of that motivates me, honestly, to kind of have that same approach. Your mother's exceptional. I mean, she, you know, I can talk to anybody and given any situation, I probably will. But there was an instant connection between your mother and me. I don't know. She reminded me of a friend's daughter. Hmm. And the more I talked to her, the more that became really evident. And the daughter, my friend's daughter, is very dear to me. 
And I said, okay. And then when your mother had this, the situation that she described to me, I said, you know, look, you know, I, let me see what we can do. Right. And it worked out. But she, I, I can understand her being a role model. She's an exceptional woman. It seems to me that any obstacle that might be put in her path, she would probably blow it up. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, it's like, get out of my, no, I'm not having that. Get out of my way. I've got things to do. I set my mind to doing this and I'm going to do it and you're not going to stop me. So now you told us how you, how you decided to go to college, yeah. go to Howard. Mm-hmm. Was there another college that you were considering? Well, like I mentioned, I, I knew I wanted to go to an HBCU. So it was really between Howard and North Carolina Agriculture and Technology University in Greensboro. Greensboro, yes. Yeah, I have family members who graduated from there. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Um, my main motivation for that school, like I said, they are a great STEM school. Everything STEM related, I 10 out of 10 recommend. However, I am an only child. <laughs> very close oh. to my parents. So I knew that I did not want to go to college very, very far away. And Greensboro is pretty far. <laughs> so when it came to choosing which HBCU, I went with the best logical choice to me, which was Howard. It's right here in Washington, D.C. It's about four to five hours away from New Jersey, depending on traffic. But it's still away because I did want to get that personal growth and independence. Furthermore, it's still very city-like, certainly not as fast-paced as New York City, but very much it has more of a northern city influence, although people down here do not think that it is the south. It's definitely the upper south. It's below Mason-Dixon. Definitely the upper south. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's almost as expensive as New York. It is. It really is. Whoa. I remember we ordered a pizza one year. This was years ago. Mm-hmm. And the pizza was like almost $30. Yeah. <laughs> Why would a pizza cost $30? Look, you know, I, I'm i mindful of how much things cost, but that I was not prepared for. Mm-hmm. Not at all. So now tell me this. You're in college. This is your senior year. You're almost done. Yes. What did you like about college and what didn't you like? Oh, this is a great one. Okay. What did I like? Oh, well, taking Howard out of it, um, I really liked just being away from home. I learned a lot about myself um, and it really pushed me. I like that. So for the most part, everyone at Howard was valedictorian, salutatorian, class president, you know, super high achieving in high school. So in a sense, that kind of pushes and motivates other students to be on top of their work, you know, consistently volunteer within the community because you're around what I would like to think like-minded individuals who are also high achievers and Mm go-getters. But on the flip side, that also speaks to something that I didn't like about college, which was it was so competitive, but almost like specifically speaking within the social sense it was kind of like social climbing. And oftentimes that can morph into 
coming off as ingenuine and just kind of inauthentic authentic yeah and materialistic which I really was not a fan of but I really I don't have many other dislikes aside from that I mean I love the DC community the Howard community those connections that you make in undergrad will last for a lifetime another thing that I really really liked about it Howard taught me that there is no unifaceted way to be black you know this takes all different forms and it was really interesting meeting people from states like Oklahoma and I even had a friend freshman year who was from Alaska I'm like I don't even know people lived out in Alaska but alas here we are yeah no it's I understand I have a friend whose mother was Puerto Rican. Her father was Mm African-American. And when she went to law school, they told her, not the school, the students, Mm -hmm. students in a legally related organization told her she had to choose which group she was going to be with. She couldn't be in both groups. And I said, what? I mean, she had to choose whether she was going to be with the uh, Hispanic students or with the black students. Right. And see, you know, I don't understand that. I don't know why anyone would do that. Right. And why, who the devil would think that they had the right to make someone choose? But apparently they did. And it really, it really distressed her a great deal. But I don't think she joined either group. Right. But there are, you know, there are those of that ilk who believe that you have to commit. And my position is they should be committed. I don't let people tell me what they, you can tell me what you want. How I respond to it is not always to your liking. I just think that's offensive. Hmm. I mean, she has a mother and a father. How can you ask a person to favor one aspect of their heritage over another? Right. Why would you do that? Who do you think you are that you would do that? Right. But I know that it happens because of my friend's experience. It's just unfortunate. So now after you graduate, um, you go to graduate school. Yes. Where do you see yourself going? What do you see yourself doing? So recently, I received an offer from a consulting company located here in Washington, D.C. So ideally, I will be working for this consulting company while going to, well, while attending graduate school full time at George Washington University. Graduate school will last for mm, maybe a year and a half to two years, depending on the pace I choose. However, I have made a home here in Washington, D.C. I have a great network. So after graduate school, I will definitely be working in D.C., living in D.C., and my long-term career goal is to actually revise healthcare policy on Capitol Hill. So have you thought about how you move from point A to point Z? I have given a little uh, thought to it. And the biggest thing I can say, like you mentioned before, is working my network, my network that I will acquire on 
the job I will work and in graduate school. George Washington University produces some exceptional students. There are so many resources. I actually have a very good friend from high school who currently attends George Washington University. She and I are in the same grade. She's graduating in May. And the experiences and just resources that the university offers to the students is amazing. I mean, from advisors emailing job opportunities to internships on the Hill, even some professors have worked as employees on the Hill. So I absolutely think that George Washington is the best choice for me. So have you gotten accepted? No, I just submit my application. Oh, okay. So I'll know maybe within the next month. Well, good luck. Thank you. <laughs> so you have a, a an idea in your head right. about how you want to move forward. Have you committed it to writing? I have not. Mm, no. Come probably February 1st of 2022, I will know, A, where I'm going to graduate school, which will then determine where I will be living. At that point, I will, I like a dream board. I love a good dream board, vision board. (laughs) So every new year, I clip out photos for my dream board. And for me, that's kind of solidifying it and setting things in stone, at which point I'll just have to execute from there. Well, are they set in stone or is there some flexibility? I guess there's some flexibility. The goals that I put on my dream board are not unattainable. They're not unrealistic stones throw. No, nothing like that. So I would say, yeah, I'd say they're pretty much set in stone. Okay. Well, but you know, one of my favorite sayings, and I forgot, the, I would give the guy attribution if I could remember his name, mm-hmm. but his quote is, There's nothing more expensive than a missed opportunity. Mm. So, you know, you you don't want to be, you know, completely dialed in to the exclusion of an opportunity that may present itself that can catapult you to where you want to go more quickly or that might cause you to go in another direction that might be beneficial to you also. Right. I like that quote. I mean, when I read it, I was like, he's right. Absolutely. One of the problems is everyone doesn't recognize opportunity. And opportunity does not always present itself in a recognizable form. Right. Like I said, I've always wanted to be a lawyer, but I had an opportunity to get a fellowship to go to graduate school Mm. and I didn't have to pay for anything, which was good because I had to take loans to go to, to, you know, undergraduate school. So I didn't really want any additional indebtedness. Right. So I went to the university of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, and that was an eye opening experience. I'd been in North Carolina before because my father's from, was from North Carolina, but that was the path I took because it presented itself. Now, I didn't recognize it as an opportunity. At least I don't recall recognizing it as an opportunity 
but it's that it it was a you know it worked i you know i when i thought about it i said okay i could do this and i did and then at least 10 years later i went to law school at night mm. while i worked a full time job during the day which i'm not going to tell you it was easy but it's doable i did it and then i i passed the bar which in and of itself was a challenge but um just be mindful that it doesn't have to be your path your your path doesn't have to be a straight line it can veer to the left or to the right and you can come back to it to what you were planning to do in better shape than you would have been if you didn't avail yourself of the opportunity. For example, let me give you an example. I was going to, to graduate school for public administration, okay. which at the time was a, a kind of a novel career path. And I had I was looking at two options, University of Pittsburgh and the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill. University of Pittsburgh was a one-year program. So I could have been back on the street with a master's after two semesters. Right. The UNC program was two semesters and the second year, there was the second year, the second year was not an inch. Well, it was like an internship, but you worked for the entire year and you got paid. Wow. The, the jobs that you you got were paying jobs. You were like an employee. You were not like, you were an employee. So I said, okay, let's look at this. I I want my degree as quickly as I can get it. But if I go to UNC, I'll be more marketable with the degree. Right. I will have a master's and I will have a year's work experience. That puts me ahead of other people. So that's what I did. And I wasn't sorry. It was one of the best decisions I made. And then I got, like I said, I got money to go. And that was really helpful because I didn't have to worry about paying any more money back. Right, right. And when, by the time I went to law school, I'd been working for a considerable amount of time. And I could pay for law school and buy any of the books and study aids I wanted. I would go into the bookstore. And I would just buy everything, everything I thought that was going to help me. <laughs> I'm like, oh, is this a, no, this is, these are study notes. These are brief notes. These are what the, I had. Oh, at the time I was working in New York near the trade center. And there was this wonderful bookstore that sold legal books. Oh God, it was wonderful. I would go in there and do I, whatever I wanted, I could afford to buy. <laughs> So I was like, oh, yeah, I can do this. So, you know, I read somewhere, man plans, God laughs. Yes, yes, I've heard that before as well. So just keep that in mind. You know, keep an open mind. And for listeners, remember, nothing is more expensive than a missed opportunity. Please try to recognize opportunities if you get offered a job or someone asks you to do something, don't immediately say no. 
say, may I think about it and then go home and think about it, talk to somebody and see whether or not it's something that you would, you should seriously consider. Cause this, um, you can't, you know, how can I say this? Opportunities don't always reappear. Right. You know, sometimes once they're gone, they're gone. They are gone. Now, is there anything you want to ask me or anything you want to talk about? Because I have one more question for you. Yes. So you mentioned your experience in Chapel Hill. So in terms of living in Chapel Hill, what was that like? Because, I mean, that's deep. Well, Well, let me say this to you. My aunt graduated from A&T. Right. She lived in Greensboro. Okay. She was only six years older than I was when I was, you know, than I was, period. So I would leave Chapel Hill every weekend and go to Greensboro and socialize, shall we say, in Greensboro. <laughs> I spent time in North Carolina further west of Greensboro when I was a child, because as I said, my father was from North Carolina. I hated it. Mm. Hated it. And my family was shocked when I told them that I was going to Chapel Hill. They didn't believe it. (laughs) But I found the people in North Carolina to be hospitable, warm. And my roommate had a a really heavy Southern accent when when I got to my dorm room because I was staying on campus and she she said hello and started talking. I said, oh God, she's going to kill me in my sleep. (laughs) She was the loveliest woman. I mean, she was just absolutely lovely. I mean, we didn't, neither one of us was was in the room much on the weekends. And she was um, maybe an English lit graduate student. She was in the library a lot. Right. And our paths didn't cross that much, but, you know, every once in a while we would connect and she was nothing but lovely, nothing but gracious. It was a wonderful experience. I got a check. Every time the faculty got paid, I got paid. Wow. I got a Ford Fellowship to attend graduate school. I didn't have to pay for anything. It was just wonderful. What did they say? It was the it was the bomb diggity. Yeah. I'm telling you. <laughs> I am telling you. I and that and I you didn't have to go looking for your check. The check was there. They just oh, made the best. and then they sent a man. The Ford Fellowship people sent a man around the country to the fellowship recipients to make sure that we were being treated well. Mm. And it just so happened he was a friend of my father's. See? I was like, oh, my God. And he's the one that got me my job for that second year. So because he asked me, he says, well, what are you going to do in the second year? I said, I don't know. I'll probably stay here because I had reason to stay there. And he said, no, you need to come home. You need to come home. You know, we need you at home. And I will say this, even though I would not have had my degree when I, um, that second year, 
the job, the only job that I could get in North Carolina after having a bachelor's degree and a year at Chapel Hill, they would only hire me as a clerk typist. Wow. I said, nah, I don't think so. I'm not doing that. And so I came back home and um, it was, it was the right thing for me to do. But I had no complaints about North Carolina, none. I had no complaints about the state, no complaints about the university. It was a rewarding experience. And, you know, at every stage and phase of my life, whether it's been professional or educational, I've made friends, long-lasting friends. And there was a guy that was also a fellowship recipient. He and I became really close and he watched over me like a big brother. He, I mean, he made sure that, because I didn't have a car. I didn't have any money. I mean, you know, I had money that I, you know, from the fellowship, but I didn't have money for a car. Right. My parents didn't have money. And he made sure that I could get to the grocery store to get what I needed if I wanted. It was just wonderful. That experience, I recommend the University of North Carolina to anybody. I'm not aware that it's changed. I know they've had issues with um, tenure and that, but the sense I got was that that was addressed. And it's my hope (laughs) that indicates that it's the same school that I went to years ago, or at least even better. Because my experience was very favorable, but I was a student and I was a Ford Fellowship student, which had some cachet. Mm. Plus, you know, I'm not a kind, I'm not the kind of person that you can push around. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? I'm not a small woman. (laughs) You know, I'm like five foot 10. No one's ever described me as slight. Okay. Okay. (laughs) And, you know, I grew up with my father and two brothers. So I had to assert myself. Absolutely. Yes. You know, and my mother was a Southern belle. So she taught me how to be a lady, but I had to, I had to learn how to make sure that people didn't treat me badly. Right. So I didn't usually get treated badly. Now, in another aspect of my life, there have been people who have tried to treat me badly, but you know, you sometimes you just have to stop people. You nip it in the bud. That's right. That's right. Barney Fife, nip it in the bud. <laughs> Barney says, nip it, nip it, nip it. That's right. But you know, it's all in how, as my mother would say, you carry yourself. Right. If you conduct yourself in the manner that demands respect. Absolutely. People will think twice before they come at you a certain way and other than a respectful way. Not that they won't, but they'll think twice about it. Right. And that's, you know, sometimes that's all it takes is for them to think about it. And if they still decide to come, raise an eyebrow. And that means that raises the question, are you sure you want this smoke? (laughs) You know? I mean, I've had people tell me in my family, my, one of my aunts said to me, I'm going to say something to you, Beverly, and you're not going to like it. And I said, are you sure you want to do that? Uh. <laughs> and she said, yes, 
because of such and such and such and such and such and such. And I, I'm never disrespectful to my elders, never. And I let her talk. And then when I went after, I said, I asked her, are you finished? And then I told her stuff she didn't know anything about. And she looked at me, she says, I didn't know that. I said, I know you didn't. Well, why didn't anyone tell me? I don't know. You'd have to ask them. She didn't mess with me anymore. Yeah, you got her together real quick. <laughs> so, you know, and, and that's, that's one of the things. I don't know how, let me ask you this. I don't know how it is in, in at Howard, and I won't say in college, because let's be specific. I have a sense that there is a lack of civility in the workplace. Mm. Is, did you, have you found that on campus? Hmm. That's a great question. Honestly, now when it comes to Howard administration, I'm going to say yes, absolutely. Like you said, you have to let people know from day one. Otherwise, they will give you what we affectionately call the Howard runaround, which is just passing you off to this person, that person. Oh, we can't solve your issue. However, when it comes to student organizations and interactions with professors, that was not really the case. I will say the professors and the students Everyone kind of maintained a level of respect intact. That's great. But Howard Admin, I cannot say the same. <laughs> I see. Well, you know, I have seen the people, and, and, and it's not, I can't say consistently because it hasn't been, you know, I have clients where I go in and I, you know, evaluate or audit their uh, policies and stuff. And, you know, when I investigate allegations of discrimination and I mean, people have been beyond rude. Mm. You know, you can disagree without being disagreeable or disrespectful. And it struck me as just not only unacceptable, but the sense I had was that it was taking a it was taking a downward spiral. It was spiraling out. It's like, why do they think they can get away with this? Right, right. I mean, I didn't understand it. There was like, what is the word I'm looking for? Like they had some approval. They had some, somebody had approved them behaving in this fashion. Mm-hmm. They had a right to behave this way. And I was like, really? You think so? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I don't think so. That's not going to. And see, that's what I, you know, that's really what I want young people, especially, but everyone, but particularly young people, Mm -hmm. you have to handle your business in a certain way. Right. Right. Because even if an employer needs the skill set you have, unless you're the only one that has it, you could be replaced. Right. And you won't know that they're going to replace you. You can go off on them. You can tell them about themselves. You can curse them out. And if you think you're going to keep your job, you would be mistaken. And you won't, there will be so many knife cuts on you, you won't even realize you're bleeding out. Right. And then when you go to the next job, your reputation will precede you. Absolutely. And people don't seem to understand that. It's like who they think they are. And I'm always amazed by the lack of civility and the lack of self-awareness 
you know, this great resignation movement. I'm like, really? Are they curing cancer? <laughs> I said, you know, these employers are not playing. Look at it this way, Salima. Employers have leases on property, on office property. They're not letting people, all their employees stay home to work. Right. They've got monthly expenses to pay. I'm amazed. <laughs> now, let me get back to you for a minute. You used a word that I want you to explain because, first of all, I was impressed that you used it in that context, but I'm curious as to what it included. You said you got your portfolio together. Yes. What did you have in your portfolio? Now, this was when you were applying to graduate school? Yes. What did you have in that portfolio? So my portfolio consisted of my academic transcript, my resume, my list of references, in some cases, if it was required, a writing sample or two, and a cover letter for each graduate school or in some instances, each um, opportunity for employment. Okay. Now, how did the career counselor at Howard help you develop that? Absolutely not. No. Really? No. You did this on your own? How did you determine what you needed? So one of the things, like we mentioned before, was I really tapped into my network. Um, I had a lot of friends who graduated in 2021 from the College of Nursing and Allied Health Sciences on Howard's campus, which is the college that I belong to and currently study in. So a lot of my friends are currently in graduate school or working and or both. So reaching out to them, asking them what their portfolios look like, things that the graduate schools look for. Um, actually, a very good friend of mine, she's currently enrolled at UNC's Master's in Public Health program. And she gave me lots of helpful information as well as recommendations, whether that was in my writing sample or resume rewording and rejuging, so to speak. But most of that came from tapping into my network that I formed at Howard. And that was just from students who had already graduated and who were already in graduate school. Oh, that's great. I am surprised that they're not, that you're not getting more support from the university. No. It was my sense that you were, but I like the idea of a portfolio, just a list of everything that you should, you should include, because whether it's in some places require a curriculum vitae. Right. And uh, because I had to do one of those recently, I was like, really? Why? (laughs) (laughs) But I did it. You know, strangely enough, I'd never done one before. Uh, my, My I started to say, unfortunately, I don't mean unfortunately. My resume is four pages. I figured that was long enough. That was a that could be a I could use that as a. CV substitute, but they (laughs) specifically requested a CV. So I had to do one. But, you know, if you don't know, you've got to ask somebody. You just have to make sure you ask the right person. This is true. I mean, don't ask the wrong person. You could be in trouble. Certainly. Absolutely. And even further than just asking someone, doing the research for yourself is extremely helpful because what works for one program, job, whatever the case may be, does not work for the other. 
paying attention to those fine details, it's very important. And there is the advantage of the internet. I love it. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. I love it. I don't have to go to the library. If I have a question, I just Google it. My God, one of my goddaughters says, go to the tube if you don't know. Go to the tube, Beverly. Go to the tube. Godmother, go to the tube. Go to the tube. And that's what I, I mean, it's amazing to me at my fingertips. And I don't have to get up and go to the computer. I don't have to get up and go to my iPad. If my phone is right next to me, I just pick up the phone and go to Safari. This is what I want. Where is it? And they tell me. It's wonderful. You all have an advantage. We do. We really do. Big advantage. Well, Salima, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. I have so enjoyed this. I'm going to have to email your mother and tell her how wonderful I think you are. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for giving me this opportunity. This has been very informative. Now, listeners, if you are so inclined and if you enjoyed listening to Salima and me today, please leave a review and please consider purchasing my new book. Your GPS to Employment Success, How to Find and Succeed in the Right Job. Absolutely. The website is www.youremploymentmatters.com. Until the next time, happy holidays. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Your Employment Matters with Beverly Williams. If you found this podcast helpful, please subscribe and leave a review. I truly appreciate your support and that helps other listeners find the podcast. If you have a comment, question, or suggestion, you can reach me at bawilliams at youremploymentmatters.com. My book, Get the Job Done, is available on amazon.com and barnesandnoble.com. Please join me again next week. Until then, remember to embrace change and differences. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM, women's voices amplified.